Creatine. Can it really enhance our exercise performance, muscle mass, mood, and mental functioning? Tune in to find out, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 103, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so that we can all be a little bit smarter and healthier with every episode. How are you holding up today? Thank you for inviting me into your day, and I hope that I can brighten it up with a bit of interesting science. So, what are we talking about today? Well, I've had a few friends ask me about my thoughts on creatine. Now, creatine is a very common supplement taken before a workout, potentially to enhance exercise performance. And some claims have been made in regard to exercising, enhancing muscle gains, etc. Is there any scientific evidence to support this? Well, let's find out. And as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Creatine is a molecule that we make in our body, but we can also consume creatine in our diet, for example, from red meat, fish, poultry, or we can also find it very commonly in supplements. Creatine is very important for our energy production. Now, because of its role in energy, hundreds of clinical trials have been conducted to see if we can increase our creatine levels in our body with supplementation And therefore, if we can increase our energy levels, exercise performance, mental functioning, and even symptoms of mood disorders like depression. Those last couple of areas may have surprised you, right? Normally, when people think of creatine, they may think of a pre-workout drink and exercise. But a lot of mood disorders and neurological conditions like dementia are hallmarked by inadequate energy production in the brain. So, can creatine supplementation actually help with exercise performance as well as mental functioning? The answer appears to be yes. But if that's the case, which dose? What can we use in order to potentially have these benefits? Well, most experts have studied these doses which appear to be well tolerated and with potential benefit, and that is 3 to 5 grams per day, or even up to 0.1 gram per kilogram of body mass per day. So for a 180-pound individual or 82-kilogram individual, they could have around 8 grams of creatine, likely best tolerated if spread throughout the day in different doses. So how can we consume creatine? Well, as I said, red meat and fish can contain about 4 to 10 grams per kilogram of meat. Or creatine monohydrate in supplements or drinks is also a very common form that seems to be very bioavailable. Are there side effects? 
Gastrointestinal issues like cramping and diarrhea may occur at high doses, and in the short term, just a few days, there appears to be some water retention, but that does not seem to last after the first several days. Now, how about we get into those details? So creatine is a molecule that we make in our body. We can make it via our liver and kidneys from reactions involving the amino acids arginine, glycine, and methionine. We can also increase creatinine in our body by consuming it from red meat, fish, or supplements. Creatine monohydrate powder has been the most extensively studied and commonly used form of creatine in dietary supplements since the 1990s. It is well recognized that creatine monohydrate is very well absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract. Around 99% of orally ingested creatine monohydrate is either taken up by the tissues in our body or excreted in our urine. So meaning then that it has been absorbed by our gastrointestinal tract and circulating in our blood. Now short-term loading with creatine monohydrate, for example, consuming 5 grams four times daily for about a week, has been reported to increase intramuscular creatine stores by about 20 to 40%. So why would someone want to supplement with creatine? Well, one of the major roles of creatine is to play a role in quick energy production, more specifically to act as a non-mitochondrial energy buffer, can rapidly transfer energy through a reversible reaction catalyzed by creatine kinase. It plays a role in the production of the energy molecule ATP, or adenosine triphosphate. So now that we know that creatine plays a role in energy production, let's answer the first question. Can supplementation with creatine actually enhance physical performance, which requires a large energy output? The answer is yes. Many clinical trials have specifically looked at exercises such as cycling or high-intensity interval training, and whether pre-treatment with creatine could enhance the maximum capacity of someone. Supplementing with creatine monohydrate may increase muscle performance in short-duration, high-intensity resistance exercises, which rely on that energy pathway of ATP, that quick energy production. That's specifically the phosphocreatine shuttle for ATP. Short-term creatine monohydrate supplementation has been widely used to improve performance in high-intensity and short-term efforts, like for example in cycling. Cycling seems to be the most studied exercise in regard to creatine supplementation. Its effects have been mainly associated with increased intramuscular storage of creatine, like I said earlier, but an increase of 20-40%, to and an increase in phosphophoral creatine resynthesis rate. Now, since creatine supplementation can significantly increase the storage of creatine, it has been shown to improve the energy s- supply from the phosphagen systems as well, thereby increasing the maximum capacity to resynthesize ATP. So, what does that mean? Essentially, yes, supplementing with creatine seems to enhance phosphocreatine in the muscle and energy capacity and storage in the muscle. So, these changes could ultimately lead to improved performance in this type of exercise. So for example, Grafe and colleagues in 2009 published a randomized controlled trial in the journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. The scientists recruited 43 active young men to determine the effects of high-intensity interval training and creatine supplementation on their cardiorespiratory fitness and endurance. They consumed 10 grams of creatine and also did high-intensity interval training for five days a week, four weeks in a row. 
It resulted in a 16% improvement in their ventilatory threshold, whereas the placebo group improved by 10%. So adding creatine resulted in a 6% greater improvement to their ventilatory threshold. What this means is adding creatine to a HIT regimen might delay the point at which you start to breathe heavier. So it increased their cardiorespiratory capacity. Bembin and Lamont wrote a review back in 2005 reporting that after pulling together many clinical trials, they can conclude that adding creatine supplements can increase strength, power output, and one repetition maximums. So it could enhance performance while training. There's thought to be little benefit from creatine for the prevention of muscle soreness following training, but it might enhance muscle recovery. So yes, it appears that creatine supplementation can enhance physical performance when training. This year, a group of experts published a review on creatine supplementation in the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition with Antonio as the first author. So one of the common questions I've received about creatine supplementation is about creatine causing water retention. And yes, it does appear that the most common adverse effect of creatine supplementation is water retention in the early stages, like in the first several days, particularly if someone's taking creatine loading high doses in the first few days. This water retention does appear, though, to disappear after about a week. The water retention occurs because creatine is quite osmotic, meaning that it likes to attract and hold on to water. But that being said, the data is mixed as to whether or not it causes long-term water retention. Ribeiro last year published a clinical trial to determine the effects of creatine supplementation on body water in men who regularly did resistance training. They measured body water content with bioelectrical impedance. And after eight weeks of creatine supplementation or placebo, a significant increase in total body water of 7% and intracellular water of 9.2% was noted versus the placebo group that had negligible changes. Both the placebo and creatine group had similar increases in extracellular water content. What was more intriguing was the ratio of their skeletal muscle mass to intracellular water, which remained similar in both groups. So this suggests that the enhanced water content may be due to increased muscular mass, not necessarily due to the increase in intracellular water content itself. The water retention appears to be primarily intracellular volume over the short term. However, there are several other studies suggest that it does not alter total body water relative to muscle mass over longer periods of time. For example, Andre and colleagues in 2014 conducted a trial in resistance-trained males who received creatinine at a dose of approximately 20 grams a day, followed by four weeks at approximately 5 grams a day. And they noted no significant change in intracellular water, extracellular water, or total body water. Similarly, males and females ingesting creatine at 0.03 grams per kilogram body weight per day for six weeks experienced no significant increase in total body water. So the answer to the question, does creatine cause water retention? Yes, it might in the beginning, but it doesn't seem to be particularly significant, especially when you take the intracellular water content in relation to skeletal muscle mass. Now, how about the next most common question? Can creatine help increase muscle mass? The answer is yes, it appears to do so indirectly. The reason being, creatine can enhance exercise performance, which may lead to greater enhancement of muscle mass. 
creatine is converted to phosphocreatine in the muscle, which is used to produce ATP, like I said. And creatine supplementation can therefore enhance the energy produced during heavy anaerobic exercise, so possibly increasing muscle power, can perhaps enhance repetitions and exercise volume that someone can do, which therefore could in theory contribute to muscle performance and muscular hypertrophy during training. But there are several studies, particularly in older adults, that indicate that creatine supplementation alone without an exercise program cannot increase lean muscle mass. The combination of exercise with creatine appears to be necessary to see this enhancement in muscle mass. And the fact that creatine is more effective when combined with exercise to increase muscle mass suggests that the main way that creatine is able to enhance our muscle mass is by its ability to enhance training volume and or intensity, which may influence muscle protein kinetics, the growth factors, satellite cells, etc., essentially resulting in greater muscle adaptation. One cool thing that I learned while reading this episode is that creatine supplementation with carbohydrates or with carbohydrates and protein may promote muscle glycogen storage and that it's superior than just carbohydrate loading alone. This is important because muscle glycogen is another storage of energy and it can help promote recovery and prevent overtraining during intense exercise. That's particularly important in athletes. So creatine supplementation may help athletes who deplete large amounts of glycogen during training and or performance. So it can help with glycogen levels. But I'm curious then if a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet that people may be on, can taking creatine supplementation then may help the muscle glycogen? Because if we're on a low carb diet or ketogenic diet, we tend to deplete our muscle glycogen storage and that can also lead to reduced exercise performance. But if we also take creatine supplements, could that help with the muscle glycogen and therefore our exercise performance? No one studied this yet, in fact. But a medical hypothesis was published this year where scientists hypothesized that this actually could be the case, that creatine supplementation may be of added benefit for exercise performance and recovery in individuals that are eating a low-carb or ketogenic diet. But hopefully a clinical trial will be conducted on that soon, and I can update all of you on that. Now, the next question was about whether or not taking creatine was safe or if it could harm our kidneys. And the reason why people may have concern about our kidney health is because creatine is converted to creatinine, which our kidneys will filter out and excrete into our urine. Now, healthy kidneys can filter creatinine, and it does not appear to negatively impact our glomerular filtration rate or our kidney functioning. D'Souza, in fact, published a review in 2019 in the Journal of Renal Nutrition and concluded that overall, in healthy individuals, there appears to be no adverse effects from consuming the recommended doses of creatinine supplements on kidney functioning. Now, there have been a few case studies in individuals with other comorbidities and that are taking different medications, or if they took 100 times the typical studied dose of creatinine or creatine, and there did appear to be some adverse effects here such as compromised kidney functioning. So the experts suggested to stick to the recommended study doses, which are less than 20 grams a day, typically 3 to 5 grams per day for long-term use. Or if you have other health conditions, particularly compromised kidney functioning, to absolutely speak to your physician first. So another question people asked me was about the idea of creatine loading. 
So creatine loading is defined as supplementing with oral creatine for five to seven days with a relatively high dose of around 20 grams per day. They often divide that 20 grams into smaller doses throughout the day, like four servings of five grams a day. Now, the loading phase of creatine supplementation is then followed by a daily maintenance phase, which is usually around three to five grams per day. So why would someone want to do this high dose of around 20 grams for five to seven days? Some scientists like Harris have shown that there is a really quick increase in muscle creatine levels from that creatine loading phase versus someone who starts off with just doing the lower doses. However, it's important to note that the lower daily creatine supplementation at 3 to 5 grams a day can still lead to increases in muscle creatine storage, which can still lead to improvement in muscle mass, performance, and recovery. For example, in the classic loading versus daily maintenance comparison study by Holtman and colleagues in 2013 in the journal Current Sports Medicine Reports, creatine accumulation in muscle increased by 20% in muscle after participants consumed 3 grams a day for 28 days or 20 grams per day for 6 days. So you can get to the same muscle creatine levels more quickly if you take 20 grams a day versus 3 grams a day. So it is currently recommended that individuals consume around 3 to 5 grams a day of creatine for a minimum of 4 weeks in order to experience the similar muscle creatine levels as the loading phase. But in the end, whether or not you do a creatine loading just depends on your goals. For someone that's seeking to enhance their the potential of creatine over a very short period of time, and they do not mind the temporary increase in water gain, then the loading phase may be ideal for them in order to up their muscle creatine rather quickly. But also keep in mind that doses above 10 grams of creatine per day may also lead to some gastrointestinal upset and diarrhea. So if you want to avoid that, you may not want to do the creatine loading phase. If you want to avoid the short-term water weight gain, any GI upset, and if you intend to consume creatine for the long term, then the lower dosing at 3 to 5 grams per day could be ideal for you. You don't need to do that initial loading phase. Okay, now that the final topic of creatine that I want to talk about has to do with neuroscience in our brain. And you know that I always love to bring in neuroscience whenever possible. So it's becoming increasingly recognized that altered brain energy production contributes to brain diseases like dementia and depression. For example, I've talked about in previous episodes how dementia is hallmarked by improper utilization of the brain's main fuel source, glucose. This is now being seen also in individuals living with mood disorders like depression as well. Cerebral glucose metabolism is frequently noted to be abnormal in individuals battling with depression and dementia. And they've seen this by using positron emission tomography. Particularly, they're noticing this in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Now, if you think about it, the brain is a really highly metabolically active organ. It accounts for about 20% of our metabolism, but it's only about 2% of our body mass. So it makes sense to me to consider our brain in the context of energy production and creatine. Now, because creatine can enhance muscle energy and performance, The question now is, can it enhance mental functioning as well? Well, first, scientists wanted to see if creatine supplementation could enhance brain creatine. Well, in the American Journal of Physiology back in 1999, Descent and colleagues showed that ingesting 20 grams per day of creatine for a month increased brain creatine levels as measured by HMRS by, on average, 4.7% in the gray matter of the brain 
and 11.5% in cerebral white matter of the brain. In a placebo-controlled study by Liu and colleagues, they found that supplementing with 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight every day for one week, followed by a lower dose at 0.03 grams per kilogram body weight every day for one week, increased brain total creatine to N-acetyl aspartate ratio by 8.1%, and also increased brain total creatinine to choline ratio by 9.3%. So yes, it does appear that if we supplement with creatine, that it can increase creatine in the brain as well. The next question is then, can creatine supplementation enhance mental functioning or mood? Well, Kondo and colleagues conducted a randomized clinical trial in 34 young adult women diagnosed with treatment-resistant major depressive disorder. They were randomized to receive placebo or 2, 4, or 10 grams per day of creatine for 8 weeks. The scientists found that creatine increased in the frontal cortex of the brain compared to the placebo group, and that higher phosphocreatine in the brain was associated with greater improvements to their depression score. There was not a significant difference between the creatine dosing groups with respect to change in phosphocreatine in the brain. So it's interesting then that it appears that the 2 grams of creatine per day may be just as effective as 10 grams in regard to increasing brain creatine and improving depression score. In the American Journal of Psychiatry, Liu in 2012 recruited 52 adult women diagnosed with major depressive disorder with an average depression score greater than 16. So unfortunately, they were battling with quite severe depression. Now, this was a superiority clinical study. So half the women were prescribed an antidepressant medication plus a placebo, and the other half of the women an antidepressant medication plus creatine, which was 3 grams per day for one week, and then 5 grams of creatine per day for seven weeks. The scientists wanted to see if the addition of creatine could enhance the ability of an antidepressant medication to improve measures of mental health. Now, the creatine-treated group exhibited a superior antidepressant response compared to the placebo group, and this was seen as early as the second week, which continued for the eight weeks of the study. The mean reduction in their depression score for the creatine group at week eight was nearly 80% better, while in the placebo group, it was 63% better. So both groups marked had an increase or an improvement in their symptoms of depression, but if you add creatine to it, they had a 17% better improvement in their depression score. The creatine group did not experience significantly more adverse effects than the placebo group, so it appeared to be well tolerated and could be of added benefit to an antidepressant routine. Now outside of depression, how about mental functioning? Pilatus in 2009 reported that a decline in brain creatine in humans could predict the risk for mental functioning decline to dementia. So this supports the idea that creatine in the brain may be important for mental functioning and memory. In 2018, in the journal Experimental Gerontology, a review was published on whether or not creatine supplementation could enhance cognition and mental functioning in healthy adults without dementia. Now, after looking at six different clinical trials, they reported that creatine supplementation could enhance short-term memory and reasoning capabilities, but the data were mixed on other domains of mental functioning. In 2007, McMorris conducted a randomized controlled trial in 32 healthy elderly individuals, the average age of 76 years old, without a diagnosis of dementia. 
to see if 20 grams per day of creatine split up into four or five gram doses for one week, if that could enhance mental functioning. Now, different measures of their working memory were improved versus baseline and versus the placebo group. For example, their number recall, their spatial recall, and their long-term memory improved significantly, sometimes up to six-fold in improvement. Now, there aren't many clinical trials looking at creatine supplementation in the elderly or even in individuals with cognitive impairment or dementia. This is something that I hope occurs soon and that, so that I may update you to give you information on whether or not this may be helpful in dementia. But if you or a loved one are experiencing reduced mental functioning, asking your physician about creatine supplementation may be a worthwhile venture. You can always share this episode with your physician if they are not aware of the recent data illustrating the connection between brain creatine, energy production in the brain, and the risk for dementia. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, the highly requested topic of creatine. Now we make creatine in our body, but we can also obtain it in our diet from red meat and fish. And creatine supplements, particularly creatine monohydrate, has been studied in hundreds of clinical trials. It appears that creatine monohydrate is highly bioavailable, that it can increase muscle creatine levels by 20 to 40%, that it can enhance brain creatine levels, it can enhance exercise performance, which therefore may lead to an increase in muscle mass and endurance. Because creatine plays an essential role in energy production, particularly ATP production, it may also provide benefit to mental functioning and mental health. Most scientists investigate doses of 3 to 5 grams per day, and doses around 10 grams per day may result in stomach upset and short-term water retention, so just keep that in mind. I hope that this episode was useful and insightful for all of you. If you don't already follow me on social media, please feel free to do so, as that is where I share some of the main studies that I cite here. If you by chance want to buy me a coffee to say thanks for the episode, you can do so now via the information in the description box to this episode. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I look forward to meeting you all back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.